0: This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
1: Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to David Locke. I'm going to appear momentarily. We'll ask David about uh, the Jazz offseason thus far. You know, think Gordon back. Uh, the last time we had lock on last week, uh, it was before the draft, and just think of how much has happened in Jazzland since then.
2: A lot, nearly all of it, unless there's something coming that we don't know about.
1: Well, the the Rudy issue is is the next one. I I don't. I actually don't think that there's much the Jazz can do outside of making a trade. I mean, they're essentially not only capped out, a capped out, but almost hard capped out. So. After they, you know, round out the roster, I don't think there's much they can do again, unless yeah. they make a, a big trade.
2: And the trades are almost more interesting to me than anything because there you're obviously giving something up for something. And so, what do you? What does a club think is valuable to them, or or expendable? And uh, what is it out there on the landscape that they value? I, I that that's really interesting stuff it might not it must not be very much fun for the players unless they want out but uh anyway
1: well let's uh let's talk to david about it uh of course Locke's interview brought to you every week by uh, the good folks at the murdoch auto team out to the zone phone we go the radio voice of the utah jazz david Locke. what's going on david not much how are you Hey, we're doing great, man. We were just kind of laughing. Uh, the last time we had you on the show was Wednesday, the day uh, of the draft, and uh, uh, there's a lot that's happened since then.
0: Yeah, really? It, 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 like, has there ever been like, it, like talk about like the NBA on Coke? Like that? Like they think that was the, that era? There was a whole era of that. Like that was actually the last week, right? Like
2: it nuts. was crazy.
1: Yeah, it's been. Nuts. So,
2: they, so, David, I've heard some of the things you've said on other shows. About uh, some of the moves, were any of any but, good? Were any of them any good? Yeah, it's always interesting. Okay, interesting, uh, right. interesting insights. So, uh, tell our listeners what you think of uh, Derek Favors, who uh, says that coming back to Utah
0: feels like home. I mean, I think that's the key to the whole thing, right? Is that he's just that excited about it and wanted to come back, and you know, has this love for Quinn and being a part of being a part of the Jazz, and you know that you know, he gets the text from Joe Ingalls that says the pocket passes back and um you know, and then I think it's interesting that Mike Conley's reached out to him since. So like if there was any question of whether Mike was feeling engaged in this group and possibly I thought that was I thought that was actually maybe one of the most important notes. I didn't think Mike would be anything but he's a total pro. But it was a funky first year, right? And so the fact that you know, if if Derek had said, oh, I've talked to Rudy and Joe and Donovan, like, I don't know, okay, but the fact that he'd also talked to Mike Conley, I thought was a really interesting little sign of leadership from really a tribute to Mike. You know, he doesn't have a relationship with Derek, and, and yet he's, you know, reaching out to him and saying, hey, let's go. Um, so I thought that was great. Um, and um, so I think that, you know, I think that when we – um we're seeing just that you know it's the personality Derek's a wonderful guy um and the fact that you know he he wanted to be here I think is is obviously important it does sound like you know frankly that New Orleans had gone in a different direction with the Steven Adams so he didn't have that opportunity and then none of the places that had cap space were looking for a center so this was probably also as good a financial opportunity as he could have I think he kind of indirectly revealed that today
1: all right, David, I want to talk to you about something you broached with Hanson Scotty. speaking of your appearances on, on other shows, and it, it really caught my ear. Um, you know, everybody gets caught up in the starting lineup. Let's talk about the finishing lineup. And you, you talked about how you kept your eye on the the lineup last year of of Conley, Donovan, uh, Joe, Boyan, and Rudy. My question to you is, is, as we kind of pondered that and thought about it, since the Jazz have not added – another really good wing defender. Don't you think that closing lineup has to include Royce O'Neal? Um Somebody's got to guard Kawhi, David. Somebody's got to guard LeBron. Somebody's got to guard – I mean, we even saw Royce on Damian at times last year. Like, somebody's got to guard these guys down the stretch, right?
0: Yeah, I don't – you know, so maybe. Um, no, I mean, you know, we addressed – Part of our issue, and not and didn't address all of them. It was you know it's not possible to address all of them. So you're you're touching on the issue that still is yet to be addressed. Um, you know, Royce and Joe are our two best defenders. Joe's thirty three, so Royce by default becomes our best defender at that point, I guess. Um, so that's you know, who knows? Maybe at some point it's Mia One. I don't know. Um, I don't really think of of any of our guys as defensive stoppers, and so the hesitation you're hearing from me is, are you just better off having your best five players on the floor? But the lineup of Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, and Boyan Bogdanovich, and Rudy Gobert that I was utterly convinced would be our death lineup and unstoppable and totally amazing, and the best ever was just not good last year. (laughs) So is that because that lineup is not good or because it had a small sample size? I'm pretty stubborn. I'm still going to yield the low sample size, but I would be willing to back off that pretty quickly and let you have your set.
2: What you just said there, David, is fascinating to me uh, in that if the Jazz don't have, I mean, Royce O'Neal, I know he gets a lot of credit for his defensive prowess and whatnot, but I'm, I'm less impressed than, than Jake is. I don't know where you are on that. But if you put your best players on the floor, even if that creates something of a weakness at the defensive end, is it worth it at the offensive end to do that? And and if it is worth it, then is there a lineup that you're willing to tweak your idea as far as what might be best?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, so I, I will have to tell, I mean, we've got six, seven guys that can close Hey, we've got eight guys that can close right any of our top eight guys um are good enough to close i think that's pretty clear and you know obviously you suspect that it would involve donovan and rudy at all times maybe there's a matchup where faves is the right guy on a given night i don't think so i mean rudy is just that great um and so i think that when now you're so now is it Royce, is it Boyan, is it Joe? Is it Mike? Like I think that's the different um combinations that are out there. And and you know, you like to have some length though you know, Royce is six Royce is six four, so he's not that long. Definitely if he's in for Mike Conley, he's longer. If he's in for Joe ingles we just got smaller. Um and Mike Conley's offense, if you're making a Mike Conley-Royce O'Neill decision at that point, Mike Conley's offense is considerably better than Royce O'Neal's. So that's a big drop on that side of the ball. So, I, again, I really thought Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Rudy Gobert would just score every single time they came down the floor last year, yeah. and it didn't turn out that way.
1: Locke is with us, 97-5 and twelve eighty of the zone. Uh, David, uh, let's go back to uh, to Faye for a second. Yeah. Um, uh, where do his minutes – well, let me put it this way. How does he get his minutes other than the minutes Rudy's off the floor, and how do they make that work? Is it simply that Mike Conley's a better shooter than uh, than um, Ricky
0: Rubio was? So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the hope is that if you're playing him with Rudy, that's 100% it, that if you're playing him with Rudy, you have better shooting around it now. Um, you know, do, uh, today in the media session, uh, Derek said he doesn't um, – Care if he starts or comes off the bench. He's willing to do it every. Figures he he'll play 20 to 24 minutes a game. Well, that means if that's the case, then there uh, of that 20 to 24, that's either six or ten playing with Rudy, because Rudy plays 34 minutes a night, and that is going to still be Rudy's playing 34 minutes a night. Um, I have been playing with the lineups because I think it's interesting. Only because actually I've watched the coaches do this before, and it's so insanely difficult um, to put together and do correctly. And it, it's just an amazing exercise, actually. Um, and so I've done it, and I have Derek starting. Nobody else I've talked to does, um, but I can't figure out how to get Derek enough minutes without him starting.
2: So here I go with another impossible question for you to answer, David, but I do this to you every week. Between the draft picks that the Jazz got uh, and, and the – so-called lesser players. Uh, who of that group do you think is most likely to emerge as being a useful piece?
0: Um, I go with Mia One first. Um, you know, a lot of us were really like Desmond Bain, the kid out of TCU. And like, I kept coming back to, is he better than me at this point? And I don't know that he is. So One would be my One would be my first player. I think is most likely to um, get time and play. Um, uh, and I think have a chance to have an impact on the roster as a 3 and D defender. Um, the next is Juwan Morgan, probably, of whether he can play some four and do some things. Um, he's got to be able to shoot it a little bit better than he has right now. Um, then Jarrell Brantley is is really an interesting player, um, he's on a two-way, so there's some limits on what you can do with him. Uh, I, his skill set is just – it's unique and it's different, and it does um, – than anything else I've seen out there, and he's physically strong. Like, a few times he had to defend really good players in the bubble. He just stood them up um, in such a kind of awesome physical manner. I, I'm curious to know who he can guard. Like, that's one that's interesting to me, like how – How wide does his range go of who he can guard? Is he got the lateral quickness, I don't know. Um, Offensively, he's funky because he does so many different things than you'd expect out of a guy with that body. But I do sometimes caution myself on players like that. I call it the Julius Randle rule. And um, I once was talking about how great Julius Randle was when he was coming out of college and the scout said to me, it's great he does all those things, but there's somebody else on your team you'd rather have doing all of them. And I was like, oh, that's interesting, right? Like, you know, Julius Randle at 6'9", has got this great handle and distributes, but your point guard and shooting guard are actually better at that. So you don't really want him doing that. You know, it's just kind of an interesting um, – so there's a little bit of that with with Brantley where he's really skilled and does a lot of great things. But some of the things he does so well, I actually want Joe Ingles handling the ball in the pick and roll, not Jarrell Brantley because Joe Ingles is way better at it. So it's an interesting – I can't quite figure out how he fits yet. So my answer is Oni, and then Hughes has got the ability to get his own shot off, and I have no idea if he can defend at all because he went to Syracuse, and so he's played the back end of his own, and time will tell whether he has any idea how to guard an NBA player, but that's the trouble you always have when you draft a Syracuse player.
1: David, I want to ask you about Rudy Gobert, and over the next year, there are a lot of different scenarios with how uh, his career could play out, right? Um, and he's in negotiations, you would assume, with the Jazz right now about a contract extension. What, what is the most likely scenario in your mind with Rudy at this point?
0: I think we get an extension done with Rudy between now and what December is it the day before opening day, so I think December so. twenty. What is opening day? Twenty second or twenty third? Twenty second. So twenty first is the is the I think it has to be before we play our first game or the league plays its first game. I think. Um, I'm not quite ready for this. It's like hard to wrap your head around that we're firing <laughs> the thing back up in this weird time frame. But um, I suspect that – it feels to me as though things have just narrowed. Like, the numbers are it, – it, it, somebody's going it, to it, – this can happen in negotiations that somebody just is unwilling to bend. And so, um, you know, and I do get nervous on negotiations where I think both sides are right. So if that makes sense, like when there's a negotiation and um, – One side is right and the other side is wrong. I'm always clear that there's going to be a resolution because the side that's wrong has no leverage. When both sides are right, I get a little nervous about whether or not you're going to get a resolution. And Rudy has the right to ask for the Supermax and claim he's a Supermax player. He's earned that. And the Jazz have every right to say, we are not paying you that. That is like a death nail to our franchise. Um, And so that makes me a little nervous um but otherwise i feel like it's narrowed i think what the supermax number is 45 donovan just walked with it with all of his incentives at 39 like doesn't that narrow the field of where we are like it seems like that to be able to get done. we'll be able to get that done in december
2: david i heard you say something the other day uh, again on the other on another show but you were talking about Uh, how Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley would be used and how they wouldn't be used or when they would or wouldn't be used. I think you were saying that Mike Conley would take over uh, with that second unit. Uh, Do you see a scenario? I guess my question to you is how will those two be used uh, both uh, concurrently and consecutively?
0: So I would think that all 48 minutes of point guard minutes will be done by Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. Right. So one of the two is on the floor with the other Donovan's numbers last year when playing point guard are far better if he's on the floor with either Joe Ingles or Mike. All right. He's on the floor without either of them. We didn't have a very good year. It was a little better in the bubble, but it wasn't great. Um, So I would try to always have either Joe or Mike on the floor with Donovan as well Um, that's not actually that hard to do. You have Joe kind of match Donovan when he comes back for his other stint. There's a whole aspect of this of how many stints a player needs to play. Like some players want to play short bursts, other players want to play long bursts. So do you play three stints and a half or do you play, you know, do you play three five-minute stints and a half or do you play like two longer stints and a half? And I think that a little bit of this depends on what each player, how they best feel that they play. Um, But I think, there's a there's a mechanism by which you can make sure that Donovan or Mike is on the floor. I don't know if it necessarily means that Mike is playing against second unit guys. I do wonder if there's some value to that though. That at 33 years old, if I suddenly, you know, if I found a way to protect Mike and and in, in his, you know, Miami did this with Goran Dragic this year, so that for let's say eight fewer minutes a night that he's guarding Russell Westbrooks of the world over the course of an NBA season, that's like almost six hundred minutes of not guarding Dame Lillard, Russell Westbrook. Doesn't mean you're never guarding them, but instead of guarding them for let's say Mike Conley's playing thirty minutes a night, is there a way that you can get Mike Conley in that thirty minutes a night to be matched up head to head with a fellow starting point guard? for 10 of the 30 instead of 30 of the 30.
1: David, uh, looking at the NBA as a whole, what has been your favorite or what has been the best move of the offseason? What has been the worst?
0: Uh, The Clippers signing Serge Ibaka to me is the best signing that there was because without that, they really had had just had a disaster, and I think they saved the disaster by doing that. and so I think that that, um, to me, that's the best signing. Um, they lost, they didn't have enough minutes. They didn't have 240 NBA-quality minutes without it. So that, to me, was the best signing. Um, everyone's killing Detroit for Plumlee and Grant and all that. I think that's maybe irrelevant. The bigger picture item to me is what just happened in Atlanta. Because I think it's a good representation of how difficult it is to rebuild. They had generally done a pretty good job. Sure, they probably should have drafted Luka instead of Trey Young, but Trey Young's really damn good. And I think Kevin Herter's going to be okay, and I'm not sure what I think of Cam Reddish, but I thought DeAndre Hunter's going to be really good. And so they had suddenly, and I love the kid they drafted this year out of USC, of Congo, and so they've done a really nice job, but it's very clear that that ownership basically put enough pressure on their GM and head coach that like basically said, we got to go win. And so now, instead of the, you know, where they are two years into this rebuild and they're, they've bailed on it with Rajon Rondo and Chris Dunn in the same backcourt with Danilo Gallinari and Bogdan Bogdanovich and whoever else, like, I, I guess, but like, So that's, like, I don't get it. Like, I'm not saying that – I think Danilo Gallinari is fabulous. In in the 50 of the 72 games he plays this year, he'll be terrific. And Bogdan Bogdanovich is interesting. I think he's pretty average, but they paid him a lot more than average. And, like, I love Chris Dunn if he's next to a bona fide scorer. So that's a super signing to go next to Trey Young. And so – but I don't know why I need to sign Rajon Rondo. Like, I don't understand at all what Atlanta just did because it – It's a bigger sign to me that, um, you know, it's a bigger sign to me that they just bailed on the process. And so when anyone starts asking questions about, like, is this guy worth it or is this worth it or just be really careful of the idea that you're going to go be bad again, be bad to try to be good because there are very few markets in which that has worked and particularly small markets. And so I get, I get really nervous about that. And I think Atlanta is a good example of why.
2: How often David, can you think of uh, a team that wins an NBA championship and then gets better during the off season?
0: It uh, does not happen very often. And the Lakers have come close. I don't know that they're totally have done it. Um, but they've come close. Um, they have uh, I'll be curious to see how much LeBron plays and if they know something there. Yeah. Um, because the only thing that makes me worry for their sake is how many possessions they just threw on their roster. Um, like Dennis Schroeder and Montrez Harrell were the number one and two bench scorers in the NBA last year, which sounds great if you needed... More possessions, but they're replacing players that didn't use possessions, and so that makes me a would make me a little nervous. But if LeBron's planning to play forty five games, then that's a totally different equation because then they need Montrezl Harrell and Dennis Schroder to do some scoring. Um, they, Marcus' sole signing was incredible for them, um, and I actually think up to that point I was a little wishy washy on whether I thought they really had gotten that much better, um, but I'm not, uh, Marcus Ohl is a really neat pickup for them. Um, so we'll see. I mean, they're replacing seven Danny Green scoring opportunities, eight Avery Bradley scoring opportunities, seven Rajon Rondo scoring opportunities. So they're, you know, they've got some pieces to replace there, but th- they're adding some guys that ha- are using an awful lot, like that were, you know, when Montrezl is on the floor, Montrose Harrell used 15 scoring opportunities last year, and Dennis Schroeder used 16. So they just replaced whatever I just said right there, which was about 23 scoring opportunities with 35 scoring opportunities. Somebody else has got to give up the 12. I don't know who that is on that roster. David, uh,
1: I've enjoyed the past couple of years. You and I have gotten together to uh, plan out some tweaks to the, to the broadcast. We did uh, some, uh, an awesome ramen joint a couple years ago last year. We went to a great breakfast spot. What are we going to do this year? Coat up and pick a sunny day to have some coffee? Yeah,
0: I think we're going to have to go outside. I'm not going inside. Yeah, yeah outside. Um, and we're masking up. Um, and um, tweaking is not what we're doing to the broadcast this year.
1: I, you know what I th- I thought we had a good year on the broadcast front last year maybe we don't need to tweak very much.
0: Well, I mean, we got to do something. It's just a totally. I mean, we have to. No, we have to like.
1: What, what we revamping the sucker?
0: Oh, <laughs> rebuild the whole entire thing. It's not a. Bro- it's not the same. It's totally like I got to figure. This is, you come and do this the same way as you're doing everything else. You're crazy. This is like a restaurant. If if we decide to like, do this. To, this is. I was on a call with Danny Meyer who is a Shake Shack and, um, you know, he's done uh, Granary Place and a bunch of incredible restaurants in New York. He's probably the lead and one of the lead restauranteurs in New York. And it was during COVID. And he said, I vowed that I would never have a restaurant that ever has a drive-thru. Like, I don't believe in it. It's not what I want for my style of food. He's like, if every Shake Shack doesn't have a drive-thru, by the end of the year, I'm incompetent. <laughs> so... Um, I, I kind of feel like if we try to do the exact same broadcast we've always done, while we're not with the team, haven't had interaction with the team, and doing you know don't create something unique to what we're doing in some other capacity, um, then we're the restaurant that's sitting there wondering why nobody's coming in to sit at our tables that are all seated next to each other right now.
1: Well, let me know when and where, and I'd be happy to throw on a coat, and we'll we'll, we'll shiver it up outside.
2: Uh, we
0: only got, I got like 14 days to figure this stuff out, I so I'm sh- hopefully I'll start thinking about it at some point.
2: Thank hey, you, David. Uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, man. absolutely. Okay,
0: happy Thanksgiving, guys. See you. See you, buddy.
1: It's our friend David Locke uh, jumping on with us here on The Big Show. His uh, interview, as always, brought to you by the Murdoch Auto team.